certainly have enjoyed the song service this morning and your prayers and trust that God will, from His Word, encourage our hearts to not only believe but to serve and worship the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. If you have your Bibles with you, please open to me with me to Malachi chapter 3 this morning. To begin with, we want to title our study, The Coming of the Messiah. The Coming of the Messiah. We want to notice how that the Word of God anticipated His coming how that the Word of God testifies of the reality of His coming. And then thirdly, how that we anticipate His second coming. But I want to notice in Malachi chapter 3, where it says in verse 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger, or angel, of the covenant, whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. In this prophetic word, Malachi is inspired of God to present to the minds of the nation of Judah how that, in the providence and purpose of God, he would, through that particular tribe, raise up the Menachim, the Messiah, the anointed of God. He says for us to behold. That means to not just view from a standpoint of a distant dream or a distant reality, but to behold as a surety something that God is going to do in the course of time that will end in the redemption of those that he purposed to save even before the world began. He says, Behold, I'm going to send you a forerunner, a messenger, who Jesus identified as John the Baptist, and he is actually the last prophet of the Old Testament, not Malachi. But John the Baptist represented the Old Covenant and the revelation of God to his people in the old times. But he directs our attention here to another messenger, a messenger of the covenant who is called the angel of the covenant in Isaiah chapter 63 verse 9. And this is none other than Jesus Christ. And, and he uses a key word here. He says, whom ye delight in, whom ye anticipate, whom ye long for. This is the longing of the heart of God's people that would trust in the merit of the sacrifice of one who would be acceptable to the Father. We need to understand this from the a position of prophecy, all of the Old Testament scripture is prophetically viewing the coming of this one that would satisfy the demands of God's holy law on our behalf. We think about this in the terms of many prophecies, hundreds actually, 
prophecies in the Old Testament that would point to the coming of the Messiah. The first of those prophetic views is found in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 when God would say to Eve that it would be of her seed that there would one arise that would literally crush the head of the serpent and the serpent would bruise his heel. This is referring to the sufferings of the Messiah. And uh, then we go from that prophecy to the time of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 when God said I'm going to raise up a seed through you Abraham through which all the nations are going to be blessed and from Abraham to the time of Moses when Moses would stand before the liberated children of Israel and say oh yeah God has sent me to be a prophet to you but there's a day coming when God's going to raise up another prophet And that prophet will be greater than anything that you see in me. And his redemption will not only be from the land of Egypt, but his redemption will be from hell and eternal separation from God. Then we come to the time of King David. The Psalms themselves are filled with prophecies Concerning the coming of the Messiah, how that he would come, suffer, bleed, and die, and yea, raise from the dead for the eternal salvation of those who are represented in covenant with him. It's interesting that all the way through these prophecies, you see time and time again an anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. Now, very quickly, go back to the language of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 40, in Isaiah chapter 40, listen to what God said to his people Israel 700 years before the coming of the Messiah. He says in verse 9, O Zion, thou that bringest good tidings. When we talk about the gospel this morning, we're talking about good tidings. We're talking about glad tidings. We're talking about tidings that are from a far country that nurture And strengthen the hearts of people in the earth. We're talking about uh, a gift from heaven itself. Good tidings. He says, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God. Now watch verse 10. Behold, the Lord God will come. Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. The glory of the Lord's coming is the intrusion of the divine into human history, the supernatural into nature itself. God did not just show up in a man's suit one day, but God himself would be incarnate in human form, coming into a broken, dark, and desperately needing world 
with his own fullness and his own saving work. Isaiah is the one that tells us in Isaiah chapter 7 that prophetically a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son and his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, remember this is a, a sign, this is something that God repeatedly said he was going to accomplish in his own time and in his own way. And uh, he whom the nations would delight in would come forth. And his name is called Wonderful. His name is called Counselor. His name is called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. You see, these are prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah. Now let us go to the New Testament record for just a little while this morning and examine some of the uh, portions of Scripture that deal with the reality of His coming, how that He came and what He was to accomplish. Go with me to Matthew chapter 1. Remembering that Matthew is the first gospel to appear among the Christian church. It was written in the late 40s A.D. It was a short time, basically, after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Matthew would be uh, commissioned to write this gospel account. And there are more copies of the book of Matthew found through antiquity than any other gospel account. Because, after all, it was the first. And Matthew is going to begin this gospel record with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And we're aware of why he did that. Because what Matthew must do, being in a Jewish culture, is show the right that Jesus Christ had to claim to be the King of Glory, to be, claim to be the Messiah. So he would begin with the genealogy because Jews think in those terms. Jews think in the terms of genealogical uh, lineage. And it's interesting to my soul that he would begin his gospel this way. In verse 1 of chapter 1, he says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Now remember, this is his name all the way through the gospel of Matthew. Jesus Christ. Jesus meaning Savior. Christ meaning Anointed One or the Messiah. Jesus the Messiah who is, the, listen, the Son of David and the Son of Abraham. He's going to connect the birth of Jesus Christ to the promise and the prophecies in David's word and to his throne and Abraham and his altar and the promise made unto Abraham. We come down to verse 18. I'm trying to go through this quickly to get to my main points. In verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. It was, a, it, it was according to God's wisdom. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she being a virgin, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. They were betrothed uh, to be married. And um, Joseph, her husband, verse 19, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. He would not allow her to be stoned, which was required under this circumstance 
uh, under Levitical law in Deuteronomy uh, chapter uh, 24 and other verses. He wouldn't allow that to happen because he loved Mary and he knew that God was behind what was happening on this occasion. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Hallelujah. This was the announcement of the coming of the Messiah. Now contextually, I would like to bring to your mind the fact that Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 was actually written four centuries before this occurred. That's a long period of time, isn't it? That 400 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. You think about that in terms of the United States. The early pilgrims that first came to Plymouth Rock in our nation, it was about 400 years ago. Is that a long time? It's a long time to wait for the accomplishment of a promise. And during that period of time, there were a lot of things going on. Even though God was silent in speaking to Judah, that didn't mean that he was inactive. That didn't mean that he wasn't doing anything. Because during that period of time, we see the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecies concerning the Gentile nations, how that Babylon would fall away, the Medes and the Persians would rule for a period of time, followed by the Greeks under the leadership of Alexander the Great and his four generals. The Greek kingdom would be divided into four parts, and each of those four parts would Hellenize the known world. They would, they would introduce Greek culture and Greek language to the then known world, thus unifying the peoples of the earth so that they would be prepared to receive a particular message in one language, Greek, the Greek language. And the Greeks were conquered by Rome who built the roads that connected these kingdoms over which the good news of the gospel could easily be transported in a period of less than 30 years from one end of the Roman kingdom to the other. God was at work during those four long centuries. But the people of Judah became calloused. The people of Judah became indifferent. The people of Judah became unthankful. Much in the same way our nation has done since our founding. We can relate to this callousness toward the blessings of God because many in Judah had forgotten all about the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. They weren't expecting it. They weren't anticipating it. In fact, many of them ignored it. But the Bible also tells us that there were some that were looking for the consolation of Israel. There were some that were anticipating the coming of that blessing. And the Spirit of the mighty God was revealing to some in that generation 
that it was time. It was time for the Messiah to actually come. And this good news message of the angel to Joseph and Mary that is recorded in the first chapter of the book of Matthew is to tell us that the time had arrived. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, In the fullness of time, Christ was made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. It was not man's time, but God's time for His advent, for His manifestation, for His first coming. And thou shalt call His name Jesus. Jesus means God will save or Savior. This is what He was named, and this is exactly what He came to do. And those that believe the Bible believe that Jesus got everything he paid for and without the loss of one. So here is the introduction into the New Testament uh, reality of the birth of Jesus Christ. In the second chapter of Matthew, we read about the wise men, the magi that came from the Far East to celebrate the birth of the King of the Jews. They had this understanding because of what God had revealed to them about the coming of the Messiah. And they come with their gifts. They come with gifts that were fit for a king. And they come to do one thing only. In verse 8, they came uh, to worship him. They came to adore him. They came to honor him. In verse 11, And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All of these gifts would testify to who this child was uh, revealed to be. Actually, God in the flesh. Isn't it interesting that the, the very first Christmas, the gifts were all given to the Lord? We've changed that somewhat in, in, in the giving of gifts to one another. But brothers and sisters, that's not all bad. Because have you ever wondered why we do that? Have you ever wondered why we enjoy giving gifts to others? It is because of the great gift that was given to us. I believe that it's a part of the image of God himself that we are created in. We enjoy giving gifts to others because God has himself given us the greatest gift of all. Amen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I love to read this account with my grandchildren. I, I love to, to remind them each year that the greatest gift of all is Jesus Christ himself. And that they need to trust in him for their salvation. The wise men provided a good example in finding the will of God. Number one, they followed the light God had given them. Number two... 
They confirmed their direction by the word of God itself. Number three, they obeyed the word of God without question. And number four, they were willing to leave another way after they met the Messiah. You see, that's the hardest part some people have in following Christ. They want to have Christ on their terms. They want to have Christ my way, like the Burger King commercial. You can have Christ your way. But brothers and sisters, if you ever meet, truly meet the Messiah, and he directs you another way, you're willing to go. You're willing to go that way. Nobody meets Jesus and leaves the same way. Now let's go to... uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Here in this wonderful chapter, we've, we read it every year, don't we? At Christmas, we should read it with our families every year, reminding us of the reality of Christ's incarnation, these good tidings of great joy. Let's look at it very briefly this morning. Luke, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And it came to pass in those days... In what days? The days that God had decreed. The days that God had purposed for His Son to come into the world. The intrusion of divine purpose into human history. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar Augustus was actually Caius Octavius who was the nephew and later adopted son of Julius Caesar, who died as the ruler of the Republic of Rome uh, in 44 A.D. Uh, Octavius ascended to the throne in 31, uh, 31 uh, B.C., B.C., after defeating Mark Antony in the Battle of Actium, and most of us are acquainted with that. He reigned until his death at 76 in A.D. 14, ruling the Roman Empire for 45 years. Under him, listen to this, under uh, Caesar Augustus, there was the Romana Pax, the, the, the peace of Rome. There was more peace in the Roman Empire at this period of time than at any other period of time. And this, of course, would facilitate the spread of the gospel Uh, very quickly in in the Roman Empire. But watch this, watch this. He decreed that all the world should be taxed, and this was was actually a census enrollment or registry. Um, Every 14 years they did this to establish the family and tribal connections all over the Roman Empire. And uh, this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, uh, someone discounted uh, in recent years, someone discounted the story of the birth of Christ because there was no record of a man named uh, Cyrenius uh, being a governor of Syria. But I take an archaeological uh, magazine, Biblical Archaeology, and recently, uh, as recent as last year, they found a, a document outside of Damascus that had the name of Cyrenius. As the governor is here. Isn't that interesting? I just had to throw that in. Uh, That doesn't make me. Brother Nathan. That doesn't make me believe it anymore. I'm just saying. They're finally catching up to the Bible. They're going to catch up. You just trust the word of God. Uh, They're going to catch up with it eventually. I just get tickled 
over things like that. And all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up to Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now this is an important account, because what we have to do is connect the prophetic Messiah with the Messiah that was realized or, or really born. He had to come through the tribe of Judah to be connected to the throne of David. you see that? So they're going to go to Bethlehem, which name means house of bread. And uh, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that, they, uh, that she should be delivered. The days or the time appointed. The time appointed. If, you have, if you're taking notes, the time appointed. Daniel chapter 9 verse 25. Psalm chapter 31 verse 15, the time that God decreed, Jesus Christ came at the very point in time that God decreed it would happen. And she brought forth her firstborn son, that tells you that, Jesus, that Mary had other children by the way, didn't she? She had other children, Jesus was her firstborn. Identified by Luke as her firstborn, but in Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, we read the names of his brothers and sisters. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, much could be said here, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a lot more in this than we can expound this morning, but I want you to realize that the world never has had room for Jesus. Isn't that sad, though, when you think about it from just a humanitarian uh, standpoint? Here is a man, desperate, trying to find a place for his wife to have a child. There's no hospitals there. there there's no hotels there. There's just uh, these antiquated inns which can comprised of a single building with one or two rooms, and many times there were many families that shared the same room. All they were looking for was a safe place for her to deliver her child. And the innkeeper says, there's no room here. Did God make a mistake? Was God to be blamed for uh, Jesus uh, being born in a place other than a safe place or other than a warm place or other than in a, a place of acceptability. God had a purpose and a design for his child to be born in a stable. Brothers and sisters, when you think about the condescension of Christ, when you think about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, just remember this. He left the shining portals of glory where angels waited for his instruction to be born in a cow's house, in a place where you and I would certainly not choose. He, he would be born in a place of separation, uh, born in a place of negativity, born in a place of darkness and isolation. 
And he did all of that for us. I, I, I just I rejoice in the goodness and the mercy of our great God. He was born there and laid in a manger. And a manger was used for both straw and water. And here is the bread and the water of life. And there were in the same country mighty important politicians. There were in the same country rich and famous folks. No, just shepherds. The lowest people on the social ladder. Shepherds. And they're keeping watch over their flock by night. Huh. And lo, the angel of the Lord came to them, not to Caesar, not to the religious elite in the marble halls of the temple of Jerusalem, not in, to those that you would really expect the angel to announce the birth of the Messiah, but to shepherds, the lowly, the isolated, the destitute. And the angel came, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Of course they were. You would have been afraid also. And the angel said unto them, Don't be afraid, fear not. For behold, I bring you the gospel. Behold, I bring you the good news. Behold, I bring you the greatest news that could ever be told to human beings. Good tidings of great joy, which shall be, catch this, I underline this in red, which shall be to all people, not just the Jews, not just the descendants, the natural descendants of Abraham and David, but to the spiritual descendants of Abraham and David, the spiritual seed of Abraham, the spiritual seed of King David. You see, what he's talking about here is something that is beyond human comprehension. Even the intellectual mind of the Apostle Paul would write to his son in the ministry, Timothy, and say, Great is the mystery of godliness. That God was manifest in the flesh. That the Messiah actually came in human form to endure as a human being some things that he could never endure as God. You see, God cannot be weak. God cannot be hungry. God cannot be thirsty. God cannot be tempted. God cannot uh, be uh, uh, lonely. Uh, God uh, could not endure death. So Jesus, as God, came into the world to experience as a man that which deity never would experience. Isn't that wonderful? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now understand what he's saying. The birth of this child, the birth of Jesus Christ, is the birth of the Messiah, the Christ to child. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly... I want you to underline that word suddenly. Remember our text in Malachi chapter 3. He will come suddenly to his temple. 
Now watch this. The, uh, suddenly there was an angel in the multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, uh, can you read this out loud with me? Let's just say it out loud. Ready? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Here is the heavenly anthem. But I want you to realize that many of us, many of us miss the first part of this verse. Many of us are longing for peace. Many of us are longing for goodwill. But the peace that was promised and the goodwill that was proclaimed can only be produced when men give glory to God in the highest. That's where goodwill and peace come from. And that's why Jesus came into the world to bring about this anticipated reality in his advent and in this announcement and, and in this uh, uh, context. He is revealing how the God of heaven would produce peace eternally in the hearts and lives of his people. Isn't that amazing? Now, our text this morning says that he shall come suddenly to his temple. That means without fanfare. That means without uh, expectation. He would show up at the temple. The Bible specifically says in the Gospel of Luke how that Jesus, when he was 12 years old, was seen in the temple. And he was answering and asking questions of these doctors of the law, these rabbinical leaders and they were astounded at his wisdom. Where did all this wisdom come from in this 12-year-old prodigy? You can imagine their amazement. When it says he was asking questions, he was not asking questions of the uh, religious leaders for clarification or instruction. He was asking questions that they couldn't answer. He was asking questions that uh, they had not heard before. And they were amazed and astounded at this 12-year-old that had come to the temple in this way. But I believe that Malachi was pointing to another time when Jesus Christ would come literally to his temple. Turn with me quickly to John chapter 2. Jesus would come suddenly to his temple. Listen to this. <clears throat> After the first miracle of Jesus that he performed at Cana, which was the turning the water into wine, it says in verse 12 of John chapter 2, After this he went down to Capernaum, which became his headquarters. He and his mother and his brethren, and uh, notice that, his mother and his brethren, and his disciples. And they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found, verse 14, And he found in the temple. He's coming to his temple, right? He found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. Why did he do that? He wasn't there to rob these tax collectors. He, he wasn't there to uh, take anything from these people. And he said unto them, verse 16, that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of 
merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. They remembered what uh, David wrote in uh, Psalm chapter 69 verse 9. See, it was his passion for purity and the worship of the true God that drove him to righteous indignation, that drove him to righteous anger. There is a righteous anger, is there not? There is a righteous anger that was demonstrated by Jesus Christ when he came to his temple and he found it being uh, defiled. He found it being um, uh, 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 desecrated. You see, worship is a very important thing to God you know sometimes we just kind of go through the motions don't we sometimes it's just you know going to church is what we do on Sunday going to church is what we uh what we're supposed to do so we're going to do it because we're supposed to do it and by the way that's right it's our duty but it's much more than a duty the worship of God is a great privilege it's a great privilege that God has bestowed upon His people through the generations, and He's concerned about the worship that we bring. He's concerned about that. He's concerned that we're not just going through the motions of worship. Now, there was another time that Jesus came to His temple. And you need, you need to mark this in your Bible. Go back to Matthew again in verse uh, chapter 21. Jesus came to his temple. Remember in Matthew 21, this is the beginning of the, the Passion Week. This was just seven days actually before he would be crucified. He comes to this temple and he's fulfilling scripture, isn't he? He's fulfilling scripture. He's riding into the city on the foal, uh, the colt, uh, the foal of an ass. And uh, in, in, in accordance with the scripture, and listen to this in verse 8 of, of Matthew chapter 21. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches from trees, palm branches, you see, uh, and strawed them in the way as Jesus rode into the city. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which literally means save now. It's recognizing him as the Messiah. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. And Jesus, verse 12, went into the temple of God. Just exactly like Malachi said he would. Exactly. At the right point in time, he would come into the temple. And he, what did he do? And he cast out all them that sold and bought, bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. Watch verse 14. And the blind the lame, and the lame came to him in the temple. And what did he do? Now he cast out the money changers. 
but he healed those that came with a specific need. He healed all of them. There was no case that was too difficult for Jesus to heal. He healed the leper, didn't he? He healed the deaf and the blind. He made the lame to walk. He was able to do this because of who he was. He was and is and forever will be the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And the Messiah that was promised that should come. The Messiah now that we rejoice in that has come. But brothers and sisters, there's even a better part to this story. Because we believe and understand from the scriptures that that same Messiah is going to come again. Jesus is the one that said in John 14, Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Let not your heart be troubled. For in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And uh, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, this is uh, 14 verse 3, And if I go, I will return again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. You see, the Messiah that came is also going to come again. According to his promise, he's coming again. And he's not going to come again as a sacrificial lamb. He's going to come again as the acknowledged King of kings and Lord of lords. Turn your Bible now to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, one of my favorite verses, and yours too, I'm sure. But in the book of Hebrews <clears throat> chapter 10, uh, drop down to verse um, for, uh, 37. Watch this. Watch this. The, the apostle writes, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and not tarry. Hallelujah. I believe he's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe uh, uh, what he says in verses 38 and 39. Are you still with me? He says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we, and he's talking about, when he says we, we're talking about believers. We are not of them who draw back unto perdition or destruction, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Somebody says, well, Brother Jeff, I don't believe that it matters who you believe in or why you believe in him, uh, because everybody, after all, is working to get to the same place. Well, let me hasten to say this morning that if, we, if that were true, if we're all working to get to the same place, I guarantee you it's not heaven. Heaven is not the place we're working toward. Heaven, uh, brothers and sisters, is, is only real and only sure to those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the great Messiah. The just shall live by faith. And that faith is a gift from God. That uh, Faith and repentance are both treasured gifts from God to us. And they are evidences of our saved condition in Christ. Now let me close this message this morning by asking you to go to the book of Revelation, the last book of the New Testament, just as 
uh, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, it's very fitting we should refer to the last book of the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus is appearing to John while he's on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, and I love this. The theme of the book of Revelation in verse 7. Are you with me here in Revelation chapter 1 verses 7 and 8? Behold, he cometh. The Lord Jesus cometh. Behold, he cometh with clouds. And every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so. Amen. I am Alpha and Omega. Alpha, uh, that's like saying A to Z. In the English language, you know the, um, the alphabet? Do you know the alphabet? A, B, C, D, E. All the way to Z. Well, in the Greek language, it's Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Here is Jesus. Jesus is saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord. Now watch this, watch this. Which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Brothers and sisters, I believe that promise. I believe that this promise is just as sure. His second advent is just as sure as his first advent. That's why, brothers and sisters, you're not going to believe this, but that's why one of the most attested to realities of human history is the birth and life of Jesus Christ. There's no religious order, there's no relig besides Satanists, but there's no credible religious order that would deny the existence of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Muslims, Confucius, uh, all of these uh, other religious orders, Mormonism, all of these religious orders, all the way around the world, they all acknowledge the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago. But just because I believe in the historical Jesus 2,000 years ago does not mean that I believe in the God uh, that Jesus is, that I believe in Him for salvation. It's one thing to learn about Jesus Christ. It's another thing altogether to trust in Him for salvation, to rest all of my eternal hope in the person and work of the living Lord, uh, Jesus Christ. You see, I'm rejoicing today not only because of the first coming, the first advent of the Messiah, but also in the promise of His second advent and His second coming. When the Bible clearly says that every eye shall see Him and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, brothers and sisters, I rejoice today. Don't get me wrong. I rejoice in the first coming of the Lord Jesus. But I'm looking forward with a great heart of joy and anticipation to the reality of His second coming. And it's not, I don't think it's very far away. How about you? I think it's closer today than it was yesterday. And it's closer than many people uh, will even admit today, even in Christian circles. But I'm wanting to say as the uh, book of Revelation closes in chapter 22 when he says, Even so, Lord Jesus, come, quickly come. Come and, and take your people into a realm of, of eternal bliss, a realm where there's no more sin and no more sorrow and no more sad farewells, 
No more heartaches and no more discouragement on any scale. I'm, I'm able to rejoice in that today because of the reality of his first coming. May God bless his word to our hearts content this morning.